Attitude. It's the name of an era of pro wrestling where it went mainstream. The version that everyone still thinks of when you mention the WWE. But it's more than just the label. There really was something that was truly special. There was an attitude, an aggression that resonated with the generation. At the forefront of the Attitude Era was one man that was the living embodiment of the time and of the sentiment. In the early 90s, he seemed destined for success. He was stunning in the squared circle, a true master of the ring. He looked the part with long blonde hair, a chiseled physique, rugged good looks, and a Hollywood smile. He could work like a demon, too. He was proclaimed to be the next big thing by every promoter that laid eyes on him. He was main eventing regionals within months of entering the business and soon went national with WCW, sharing the ring with current and future legends night after night. He was can't miss. He started winning title after title on his road to the top. He was can't miss until he missed. Like almost everyone else in this world, he was met with adversity that was beyond his control. He met with injury, indifference from creative, and eventually a release in the form of a FedEx package. He was sunk and due in no part to anything he did in the ring or on the mic. But he took that and he used that. He embraced his mean streak and he threw two middle fingers up at authority, the powers that be. He resonated a message with every single man, woman, and child that watched wrestling and felt that they were kept from being their best self from the man. For everyone that knew they were special but weren't allowed to shine, he became the harbinger of the Attitude Era of Wrestling, sure, but also the spokesman of the 99% years before anyone occupied Wall Street. It didn't matter what anyone said or did to him because he was going to be a force. He took that and it fueled him. He literally fought the powers that be of his industry and he won. He was the biggest draw and the biggest hero in the history of professional wrestling. I'm talking about a man who said, don't trust anyone. A man who could open up a can of whoop ass. I'm talking about the Texas rattlesnake. Give me a hell yeah. Austin 316 says, I just whooped your ass. And that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold says so. Let's get ready to rumble! Try to be best, because you're only a man, and a man's got to learn to take it. Try to believe, though the going gets rough, that you got a hand tough to make it. History repeats itself, try and you succeed. Never doubt that you're the one. Welcome, friends, to the best there ever was. I'm Chris. I'm Jimmy Fax. We are the Curtain Jerks. Yes, we As are. usual, on the best there ever was, we'll be discussing the art form of professional wrestling and what makes us come back to it, that emotional connection that still has us as adults who watch professional wrestling. Sometimes we cry, sometimes we laugh. It has emotion. Yeah. Uh, on this season of The Best There Ever Was, we are discussing Hall of Famers, and uh, today we're discussing one of the greatest Hall of Famers, st- yeah. uh, stunning or stone cold Steve Austin. Stone cold Steve Austin. I mean, 
literally perhaps the best there ever was. I mean, the man, did we name the podcast after him? No. I, I mean, I, I didn't, but I don't think he's the best. I think he's one of the greats. Well, but I'd put, by, him, in, I'd put him in a short I think list. Vince McMahon's checking account tells you he's the best there ever was. So this season, as I said, we're talking about Hall of Famers and their greatest matches. We'll be discussing Austin's match with Bret Hart, a submission match at WrestleMania 13. Now, is he the best there ever was? Did we name the podcast after Bret Hart? Well, I mean, he would say he's the yeah. best there ever was. It's the excellence um, of execution, yeah. But now, the, whether he's the best there ever will be. I mean, that, that one always seemed to me a little more, you know. It really gets into metaphysical discussions of forever, really. <laughs> what is even wrestling? You know, exactly. I, um, I like the uh, facts, by the way, drinking a – he's drinking a Diet Coke, um, but it, 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 it looks is, like a Budweiser it can. Is, it is the most Steve Weiser tribute non-alcoholic beverage I could have. It's a Diet Coke with an American flag on it. It's a 20-ouncer. It looks like a silver bullet. It's, uh, I think if Stone Cold were going to drink a Diet Coke, this is the Diet Coke he'd drink. I think he drinks a lot of Diet Coke now. He, probably. I think he drinks a lot of everything right now. To, uh, to discuss uh, Steve Austin with us today, uh, a man with this haircut, Dennis Holden. How you guys doing? So Dennis, why don't you tell us about, a little bit about your background as a professional wrestling fan, what got you into it, uh, what brings you back to it? I think every uh, four or five-year-old in our era uh, was obsessed with uh, you know, the 80s. You had uh, the Hogan, the, the Macho Man, Jake the Snake, uh, the Million Dollar Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a kid, I fell in love with it. I think WrestleMania four. It's the first one I really remember. I was like four years old. Um, and you, you had the, the, the plush toys. You had the video games. You had the, the little plastic ring and the whole thing. Uh, just, you know, I, I didn't have a shot. Growing up, it was all about the Mets. It was all about sports. Uh, but on those Saturday mornings uh, watching wrestling, uh, I was hooked from the very beginning. Well, it was kind of perfect, right? Because you'd watch like Superstars mm-hmm. or Challenge. And then I think it was on Channel 9, and it would segue into, if there was like a 1 o'clock Mets game, it would just sort of be on. Oh, it was great. I just remember going to Little League and uh, the, the proverbial good humor truck. You wanted the WWF ice cream bar, but you wanted to make sure you didn't get the Barbarian or, uh, see, or uh, uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. I felt like I always got the Barber, and I was always I, pissed off. See, I loved the Barber. He was my guy. But for me, it was a very different thing because I, I would watch. It was at noon. I'd watch uh, Superstars or Challenge or whatever, and then – as, as a Yankees fan growing up in the late 80s, it was very difficult with all these very mean Mets fans that were just such winners and that they oh, put yeah. all these things. That, and we had this, this crappy team, these Yankees that just, just were horrendous that I, I, I needed wrestling as my escapism. Wow, that's, that's like being Triple H and trying to say the world's against me. Woe is me. Come on now, man. I mean, I, my sorry you guys only won one World Series with the – Doc Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. Did the Yankees ever turn it around? All the cocaine that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, I stopped watching for a couple of years and then they got good. Yeah, just like wrestling. Just like wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's okay though because I, it's funny because I have a lot of friends who stopped watching baseball and then when the Yankees, whether it was '96 or whether it was 2009, got back in the baseball when the Yankees are winning. It's hard to do that in wrestling because. You know, Goldberg's not going to randomly show up and win the title. Like, you know, that happened. Uh, <laughs> so if you're trying to compare Derek Jeter to Stone Cold Steve Austin, I like where you're going. Ooh. Oh, and I like Stone Cold Steve Austin a lot more than Derek Jeter. <laughs> All uh, right, enough of uh, my Yankee ranting. We'll discuss uh, Stone Cold. Uh, but a bit about, before we get to the match, a bit about the background on the undercard. 
So Austin uh, comes into the business in 1990. Uh, I think my first exposure to him was in the PWI magazines because he made a big splash in Texas uh, wrestling his trainer, Chris Adams, in an angle where he stole Chris Adams' wife. But also, for real, he ended up marrying her. Which, by the way, and that happens to, you know, that it's not the only time in wrestling history you see that. It's just like, if you're booking feuds, never, ever book your wife to have an affair because she's almost definitely actually going to have an affair with that guy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why, I mean, you go back to the, the, the way that Triple H and uh, Kurt Angle thing worked out in 2000 where Triple H didn't want to lose her. I, I think, I admit, like, it, it killed the <laughs> angle, but I think Triple H was right. Don't, don't even touch that, man. Don't touch that. Yeah. yeah don't, so is, was Austin, was he a bodybuilder? Was he, uh, like, what was his, was he just, like, got into the wrestling biz? He, he was a, I think he was a big, just athlete. And then he... He was he, a football player. Football he was a player. football player, but he played everything. He was good at everything. And then he always watched wrestling. And then he saw a commercial for a wrestling school. And it's one of those things, like, he saw that commercial. And then, like, within six months of him seeing that commercial, he's, he's wrestling Chris Adams on USWA television. He was, I think, the only person to actually graduate from Chris Adams' wrestling school. I think he was the only guy. Yeah. Uh, at least the well, only one of note. The final exam is stealing his wife. So only one person... <laughs> only one person's pulled yeah. that up. Yeah, uh, he quickly transitions to WCW, which I think is probably where most of us actually saw yeah, him for the I first never, time, other than pictures. I never saw or heard him, and honestly, even those first like year plus, probably until he wrestled Steamboat, or, or I forget what the timeline was, either the Steamboat matches or Dangerous Alliance. I don't know what was first. Like he was just a guy until then. Like I knew the name, but I couldn't really tell you much about him. It's true. Yeah, it seemed probably a couple matches in the, the Dangerous Alliance period. So before that, he comes in right away with uh, Chris Adams' wife, who was Lady Blossom, mm-hmm. um, takes the television title from Bobby Eaton, which made me, as a youngster, very mad. Bobby Eaton had waited so long to have a singles title. He only held it for like three weeks. Right. Um, and I think it was actually longer on TV than in like real life, because I think that they taped the, the change a couple weeks before. So poor Bobby had the belt for like two and a half weeks. Yeah, but you know, it, it made his luggage lighter to not have that belt. So sure. I'm sure he could appreciate that, <laughs> the thrift of that. Uh, but the Dangerous Alliance era, of course, fantastic. One of the greatest collections, I think, of wrestling talent all time. Yeah, and I mean, in that War Games match, oof. I mean, just both sides, Sting Squadron, Dangerous Alliance. I mean, just a great match and just so much, so much freaking talent. They need to bring back War Games. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's before its time. Like, just going back and watching that, it just felt like it could have been five years later or whatever. It was just a different kind of vibe back then. And for me... You know, I, it was all about WWF until, you know, 95, 96. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a big Jericho mark, so as much as the NWO brought so many people into WCW, for me, you know, the, this little blonde kid, uh, you know, doing uh, spinal tap jokes, I'm like, this is, this is my jam right here. <laughs> uh, so a lot of the stuff I know of, of this era of Austin is the network. And you, you can get lost in hours and hours and hours of pay-per-views and war games. And yeah. Just a lot of those things where, you know, um, you know, World War Three, like it's a, a silly concept, but it's like three rank, like just in an era where it feels like feuds are you're you're wrestling the same dude for six months at a, at a clip. Yeah, uh, they can use just a little bit something different, and then I, they kind of did that back then. I would say, like currently, and I love WWE Network. This podcast is basically a, an advertisement for my love of of the WWE Network. But uh, I don't even watch all the pay per views anymore. And you just because I feel like it, it's exa- you're exactly right. They just have the same guys going pay-per-view after pay-per-view. There's only one match you actually want to see. The rest kind of like bring back some of these 
crazy gimmick matches, not even just war games, which everybody wants, but like a lot Survivor Series and just big battle royals and just like give me something to chew on. And when they do it, and then nowadays, not to harp too much on the current product, you know, they'll have an ambulance match where they, the rules, they have a flag match where the, the, the object to win the match was not to get the flag. You had to get the flag and run it up the ramp. It's like, what are, mm-hmm. what are we doing with this craziness? Yeah, there are opportunities to, you know, like I loved like Sold Out, the idea of Sold Out when that happened in the late 90s. Which is a weird show to watch back, but it's a great idea. I mean, I've definitely bought that show because I was, I was excited to see it. Yeah, exactly. So like they, they, there are moments where they have branded Hell in a Cell all right, I, okay, Money in the Bank is probably the, the fifth pay-per-view now, so I'm in on that. But I don't like that Hell in a Cell is a branded pay-per-view. Like, it should be a match where it's the, the culmination of 18 months of a feud, where you have Taker and Michaels, where you have Taker yeah, and but, but I do Mankind feel like and whatnot. In terms of like the big, torturous match, I mean, Hell in a Cell has kind of been replaced for like the big event thing with the Punjabi prison. So, <laughs> you know, like... But it's interesting, though, when you look back, though, at, at War Games, I mean, as much as we think about, well, you know, that we people didn't... Uh, have to build to a, a specific month then. I don't know. You look at those early 90s and, and like they'd picked when they were going to do war games and they kind of backed into it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Dangerous Alliance match, they kind of basically just said, all right, like all these guys are feuding. I get, but that's the thing. They had a, a group to be able to say, okay, what are the five guys that are feuding with the Dangerous Alliance? Let's go out well, there and have and, them have and, a, a and big bloody the, match. And look at the last gimmick pay-per-view standing is the Royal Rumble, which is intentionally scheduled on the calendar to fit the story cycle. And right. you could say summer, uh, sorry, Survivor Series could fit that too, where mm-hmm. it's kind of like you kind of uh, already killed off all of your SummerSlam feuds. You're just kind of beginning to, on low heat, you know, put the tomatoes in the, in the pot for what's going to be their WrestleMania stuff. So, yeah, just throw a bunch of team stuff together on Faces versus Heels or even now Raw versus SmackDown or whatever and, and just do it and i think there is more like there is a discrete story cycle and, and money in the bank you you mentioned just also kind of fits in nicely with the it's kind of the rest the royal rumble of SummerSlam's wrestlemania mm-hmm. if you will even if it doesn't isn't as quite lined up and uh I, I think there's i think you can schedule this stuff yeah you can always but again you can go back to this talking about you can go back to austin on the network and there's just like i think we all kind of forget about those wcw's years but you could just he kind of just rolls off great matches with Steamboat, he's got a million with Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, he transitions into a tag team with Brian Pillman, the Hollywood Blondes. Hollywood Blondes. I love the Hollywood Blondes. And if you can find some of those promos, that's when he really started cutting really good, swarm, smarmy heel promos with Brian Pillman. And I, that's when I, like, he went from, like, again, Dangerous Alliance is where I really got to know him. But then it was really there where, like, I started kind of like hate loving him in that way that like when you're a, like a 10 year old or whatever, like you, you hate them more than you like them. But the fact that you hate them so much is obviously means you kind of like, like the same way like you pull a girl's hair on the swing set or something. You actually did that? I did that to Brian Pillman. Okay. I had a crush on Brian Pillman. <laughs> yeah, when I... But yeah, I mean, in those matches, I mean, even... That team is so good. I actually I watched a, a match with the two of them against Arn Anderson and Paul Roma recently, and even yeah. that's good. It's like five and a half minutes too long, but like <laughs> even Paul Roma uh, looks good wrestling the Hollywood Blondes. Yeah, I mean, I saw. I think it was Clash twenty three. I can't swear on the number. I think it was Clash twenty three. The main event of it is Hollywood Blondes against Arn and Flair in two out of three falls match for the WCW tag titles, and it is excellent. And uh, Austin actually is, is probably the guy that's in the ring for most of that. 
Um, although, you know, Pillman's obviously fantastic at that yeah. point in time, too. And, and it's nice to have conversation with people because the, the Austin that most people know is the Austin Post uh, uh, Pile Driver SummerSlam 97. Mm-hmm. So they don't realize how much he can go in the early years. He, yeah. he was a wonderful technical wrestler back in the day. And we only got to see, at least for me, I only got to see a little bit of it, you know, at the time. Now so much of it is going back on the network, having conversations with people, going on YouTube and being like, oh, no, yeah, this Pillman stuff was crazy. This Dangerous Alliance stuff with Paulie and the giant cell phone and the whole thing, the suit that was, you know, uh, two sizes too big for him. Yeah. It's just like, it, it, it's amazing to see it live and in color because, you know, when I was a kid, I, I missed it. And now it's like, it's, it's literally mind-blowing. It's well, great stuff. Well, yeah. and also, if you only know that era of Austin, you, you, you know kind of his ill-fated post-WrestleMania 17 heel run, which didn't really amount to much. But his his traditional heel cockiness in those, like, Hollywood Blondes era, and just even his selling in the ring as a heel is just so, so good. His stuff is so underrated. He was kind of, in a weird way, the Barry Windham I always wanted. He was much younger, in better shape. And I was a Barry Windham guy. But yeah. he was kind of the young, better shape Barry Windham. One had great matches with Windham in 92. I don't yeah. think any of those are on the network, although I think plenty of them are on YouTube if you find, because they were on like Worldwide and Saturday Night, which still is on the network. But um, but those guys had great matches. Barry's someone who, I, again, he, he was a great worker, but I don't think he ever put in, in a lot of ways, the effort that Austin did. Like, no, you can really no, no. see Austin trying and pushing himself forward in those, in those early years. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, of course, so his... WCW run ends with him getting injured, getting fired by the infamous FedEx package. Right, by Bischoff, yeah. Heading over to ECW, mm-hmm. um, where he cut some well, electric the, promos. And the, the wonderful thing is Paul Heyman knows he can't wrestle, doesn't sign him to wrestle. He knows for months he's not going to be able to wrestle. But basically just, sto- you know, Steve Austin's just like, well, why do you want me? And he's like, just come on, cut promos. You know, we'll do the little TV show that we do have and, and the, the arenas, you know, that we do have. And he just gave him this platform just to talk, and he just took it. And it's like kind of like the first thing where he's down, and he just Austin's a survivor. You know, you mentioned the broken neck, but this is the first time, like, he's down. He's down and out. Like, his career could be bottoming out and, and ending. And he just channels his energy into these promos even though there's not going to be really, they're not really building up to a match of anything, and he's 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 going scorched earth. He's he's bashing Bischoff. He's bashing WCW. He's bashing WWE, WWF. I'm sorry, where he hadn't even worked at that point, and Vince McMahon and Raw. Like he's just leaving charred bodies and burned bridges everywhere. But well, he's making riveting television. Although super ironically, given what he ended up doing in the in WWE, um, he's of course wrestle, ends up wrestling the Sandman. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the guy who's chugging beers. He's like, ah, oh, this guy chugging beers. Uh, and of course, that would be his uh, basically almost his entire thing. <laughs> um, but it's crazy to think, yeah, he wrestles two matches. One's just against Mikey Whipwreck, and one is against the Sandman and Mikey Whipwreck. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's it's kind of crazy to think that like these are all Steve Austin's ECW matches. Mm-hmm. Um, also, int- interesting to think about if he if he'd stuck around a little bit, which he definitely wasn't going to do. Like what. ECW would have looked like because the, the the talent level there. Um, I love the Sandman. I love Mikey. Uh, Austin was a bit out of their league, <laughs> right? But they they did have a lot of guys that would become really big time. You know, they had Eddie and they had Jericho and like they they had a lot of really big guys past 
through there. But they weren't top guys. I mean, well, well, I mean, you know, Mal- well, Mal- how many WF champions were in ECW at one point or another? You had Austin Jericho. He shall not be named. Uh, uh, Guerrero right. uh, has never won the world title. Um, but just the, just the amount of talent that was there at that time, Mike Michael awesome. could have been a yeah. time. It's an amazing, yeah. it's an amazing talent roster. But it's interesting with where Austin was positioned relative to some of those other guys. A lot of those other guys were underneath. Austin comes in on top, and the guys on top around then. I mean, Raven's a, a underrated worker. Um, I guess he could have had a decent match there. He could have had, I guess, a match with Tommy Dreamer. Um, he would have had a great match with Shane Douglas. That actually would have been that actually would have been amazing to see 1996 Steve Austin, 1996 Shane Douglas in the same ring. That, actually, that would have been incredible. Well, or um, or like 1998 Bubba Ray Dudley, where he was just you remember he was just killing the crowds and giving these just expletive laced uh, heel promos, just bashing the fans watching at home. It, that that actually I feel like could have been. I thought Bubba Ray was so good back then. It's a different era. I forgot Foley. I forgot Van Dam. It's just the amount of talent that went through at that time. It's like you said. Austin came in. He had the two matches. He came in uh, as a as a house on fire. Uh, but it just goes back to Heyman. Just you know, he is like brilliant in spurts. You know, the yeah. Dangerous Alliance was short lived. Amazing ECW, like in the ninety five to ninety seven range. Uh, I think that's probably its peak. Some amazing stuff. Yeah. Going on there, and then when he got SmackDown in like oh three oh four oh five, where he had Edge, uh, Angle, uh, Mysterio, SmackDown six, SmackDown six, and that was that was a great era too. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, those are those are that's some great stuff to go back and watch. Those tag team matches um, are electric. But but then the amazing thing though is that you have Austin here, right? And he's he's going scorched earth and just. You, you can find it in so many different collections on the WWE Network. You can see some of these promos, and they're, they're so good. And then, so somebody at WWE sees them and says, oh, my God, we, this guy is going to be a star. we got to get him. But whoever made the creative decisions, I don't think ever watched it. Or, or it's just doing some due diligence, right? Because, I mean, at that point, WWE was losing a lot of guys to WCW, mm-hmm. all, all those, like, the, the early 90s guys. So you got a guy coming over. They're at least interesting, theoretically. But then, of course, they bring him in. As the ringmaster. No, it, it was Jim Ross uh, integral in bringing him into the uh, no, WWF. No, no, that wasn't until later. Uh, Jim Ross's role, kind of in his career, I, I think was 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 later on. It wasn't bringing him in. I don't believe. Because like in my head, I can see Ross being like, "You have to bring this guy in." They bring him in, mm-hmm. and then they you know put him uh, in the sequined uh, million dollar belt, <laughs> and have DiBiase do the talking. For which him. is which is incredible. Yeah. You know, it's so incredible to see some of those moments where. You know, again, you're bringing in the guy. You're bringing in the guy because what he did, you know, in ECW more so than what he did in WCW. I would say that's what you're 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 purchasing. I think, yeah. um, and you're you're not going to do that. It's amazing how many times over the years they just don't. You know, it, it's amazing they did it with AJ Styles. I think that's something we're all like sh- shocked by. Yeah, we yeah have, but, I think we all got lucky with that one. Well, and AJ was the way more established because Austin. He had made a big name for himself, but he was never a world championship guy in any federation, never in Japan, never anywhere. But he also wasn't a kid. He wasn't a kid, but I mean, he was, I mean, I could see how they, they think of him as an IC title guy. I just don't get why they, they didn't let him talk more, but obviously they, they did. And one Enjoy. thing I cannot recommend enough, so they eventually get rid of DiBiase, right? And they start letting him be this, this stone cold character. And in the beginning, he's literally based on a serial killer. And if you watch the early Stone Cold promos, and they have some of them on the network, 
he's giving this very slow, methodical, like he sounds like an actual serial killer. So I love the fact that the biggest baby face in the history of the business, <laughs> that character started as a literal serial killer character. Very overt. Watch the old promos from before King of the well, Ring 97. I, I'm just seeing the eyes. I'm just picturing the eyes where the eyes are just bugged out and wild. And But he literally talks, he's like, I'm a stone cold guy. I'm going to meet you down in the ring. And I'm going to do some bad things. Lock you up in my basement. Well, think about that era. Part of you. <laughs> but think about that era at WWF where you had, you know, uh, uh, Mankind, the... Uh, what, 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 the, the Mutilator. The, the Mutilator, exactly. Yeah. Like that kind of piece. It's just like a different... It, it was They were just transitioning from uh, occupational pace wrestling <laughs> into, uh, you know, character-based wrestling into outlandish, larger-than-life character base. I'm, I'm now thinking about it now that you're talking about it. I, I think the original Hunter Hearst Helmsley character was like alt-right before there was a such thing. <laughs> he, he white power? Uh, but yeah, and inter- interestingly, of course, he, so he gets to WrestleMania, he wrestles Savio Vega on mm-hmm. WrestleMania 12, which is, I don't think a, I don't think a good show. But yeah, WrestleMania 12, you're not going to get an argument from me. And that actually will bring us to our, our segment, uh, Overrated Underrated. Uh, this time we'll be discussing 90s WrestleManias. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess we'll start, maybe start with underrated. Let's start positive. Okay. Um, well, uh, underrated 90s WrestleManias, guys. Do, do you want me to go? or do you, 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 want? Go, you can go first. Right? I'm going to go with, and, and I think this is kind of controversial, WrestleMania 11. Take, take, take a walk with me. You guys I, no, take a walk no, with to me? to be fair, I rate this pretty lowly. So actually, I think there's a good argument that maybe this is So again, here. I'm not saying this is one of the great WrestleManias, but it is an underrated WrestleMania, right? Most of it's inoffensive. And totally watchable. You got Brett Blackland. You got Razor going against Jeff Jarrett. You got Taker against King Kong Bundy, which, as far as Taker matches of that era, is no worse than any other Taker match. You have your first Owen That's and Yoko. the most Yoko. backhanded compliment ever. <laughs> I mean, he got better later on, to say the least. Um, but you have your first Owen and Yoko team up in titles, which, by the way, was Owen's first ever title in WWF, which I thought was huge. You have Sean and, and Nash for uh, Diesel, I'm sorry, for the strap. And it's actually really good. It's nowhere near as good as their match at Good Friends, Better Enemies, which is a legit classic. But it's a really good match. And the lead-up to that match and the match, even though he lost, kind of is what made Sean a star. A star in the, in the down period. But it did that. And again, it's a really good match. And then you have the, the main event is Bam Bam against Lawrence Taylor, LT, my boy. And uh, that closed the show, and it actually worked. It's far and away the best celebrity match ever. Even David Arquette will agree with that. Huh. And, you know, it's, it's, it probably wasn't great for the business. You know, I, it was probably the last show I watched for almost three years after that. But it's very watchable. It's very entertaining. Bam Bam gets a WrestleMania main event. But th- that match really is, is, is critically underrated that I think people kind of brush it under the rug as a really good celebrity match and nothing more. But if you watch that match, that's a legitimately good match. And it is a damn shame that neither Bam Bam or LT are in the Hall of Fame. So we can't talk about it on this podcast this year. But I, I'm going to... Maybe that's my, my season. My life goal, we're going to talk about football players <laughs> and basketball players and pro wrestling matches. Dennis, anyone? guy's underrated? I was uh, with... with, with uh, WrestleMania is in the 90s. Any WrestleMania? So... Uh, I mean, it depends on what you where you rate. Like WrestleMania ten was probably one of my like favorite shows as a kid. Yeah, but that's at, that, at, but that's that's properly that's known rated. As, yeah, that's the great, properly rated. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I think I like WrestleMania eight. 
I like the Macho Man uh, Flair. I, I, it's a two-match you know, like card, right? It, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I, I was, in my, it, my father was a Macho Man guy. I was a Hogan guy growing up. Uh, and then as I've gotten older, I can understand why. Because Macho Man was the freaking greatest. Uh, but that Macho Man Flair match, we, ne we never got the Macho Man Hogan. Uh, we never got um, Flair and Hogan. But we did get, you know, Macho Man and Flair, even though it was 92. I mean, it's, you know, it definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they were yeah. still reasonably close to their peaks at that point. Yeah. That, you know. And that, that's a great, I mean, because the, there's a lot of other, that shows like kind of decent all the way through. And then those two matches sort of spark. Plus, you get to see Hogan, uh, Sid kicks out a leg drop at the end, which right. is pretty fun. <laughs> um, as, as a savage guy, I'm with your dad. I'm with your dad on that one. Um, maybe, look, maybe your dad just knew um, a bl long-haired blonde guy with lust in his eyes. And he just didn't <laughs> like him mm -hmm. because he knew that that's who, who uh, Hogan was. But, the, but that one, WrestleMania 8, I, you know, I love that match. That's, match, that's a match that, that stands out to me. Nine was a disaster. I can't defend that in any capacity. Right. Um, 13, obviously, we'll talk about. I think 15. I like 15. That's a big one. So that's going to be a transition because that is my most overrated Ooh, okay. WrestleMania. So, because I think when you think 15, you're going to say, well, it's the first Austin and Rock WrestleMania, but it's far and away the worst of their matches at WrestleMania. Um, the match is okay. It's not a terrible match. It's a fine match, but it's an okay match. And it is the only okay match on the card. The only other one that's like halfway decent is, is Shane McMahon versus X-Pac. So that's what you're working with. The rest of the card is unwatchably brutal. You had Man Mankind and Big Show in a match with a DQ finish. You had Taker in the worst Hell in the Cell ever against Big Show, which, was, by the way, is where they boss murder... Man. I'm sorry, Boss Man. They murder Boss Man afterwards, which is never mentioned <laughs> again. He's on Raw the next night. He's fine. There's even Triple H and Kane in, in like the third from the end get another DQ finish. That card is unwatchable. Except for those two matches, and those two matches are like meh, like the they're like two and a half, three star matches. Yeah, I actually think fourteen is underrated because I think that one's come back. I mean that that awesome Sean match is, is pretty yes. good. Mm -hmm. I think the dumpster match with um, I love the that outlaws match. against love the Charlie. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty solid match. Even you know you've got Shamrock and and Rock, which is is pretty solid. I think it's I, and I, I think, love I think that people Rock. kind of lump those two two together, and I think fourteen is a. a Pretty decent show. Well, and also just the promos too. The Rock gave that Palatial Palace promo um, on video with some celebrity. I forget who. Like, it's just so, it's such a good promo. And isn't that the one where the Rock is on the stretcher, but then holding the title up? <laughs> yes. It's just he, the Rock. Like that was really where, as much as obviously it was crowning Austin as as the Lord of Wrestling, it really I thought was also the Rocks. Like everyone I knew that we were watching it with. We the Rock was such a bad guy, but we all freaking loved him at that point. So I'll say to go back to earlier in the decade, overrated WrestleMania six. I think we all remember this one oh, yeah. relatively fondly. Mm -hmm. But once you get past Hogan Warrior, which is like slowly holding up less good for me as I watch it more. Yeah, there's literally <laughs> nothing else on the show. Like nothing else happens. Uh, yeah, they've got the hard foundation. They wrestle like 19 seconds against the Bolsheviks. Yeah, it's like a historic-ish show, but like it's yeah, it's it's not actually good. I mean, that's how I feel about six and seven. Nine is I don't even know where on the scale you'd put nine. I think nine might be the worst. Might be the <laughs> might be the worst WrestleMania. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's in the discussion. In the discussion. Well, what so, I, uh, WrestleMania eleven? It's a one match show. I think it's two. I think I think it's you make a good argument that eleven's two. Well, okay, all right, yeah. so, all right, but so, but so with eleven. W 
Well, no, I'm getting confused. I'm thinking of 12. 12v, well, the 11, Iron Man match. No, no, 11's the Iron Man match. 12 is also match. kind of a one match show. Okay, but with, with the Iron Man match, see, I, I, I watched it again recently. I, I think it's remembered more fondly than see, it probably I, should be. I actually yeah. thought that too, and then I rewatched it. Loved it, oh, so it's it's hard to say because like I haven't seen it in a long time. Because I remember loving it at the time, and Iron Man match that goes to the zero zero and then overtime. But it and you now think of it you're like, well, why did they even do an Iron Man match then if it was gonna? But it it, it, it I love the tension, and, and again, I'm a un, I'm a bread apologist. So basically, the only one we haven't mentioned though, of course, WrestleMania 13, uh, which is perfect because uh, that's gonna be the subject of our main event. I can probably say anything right now because I can edit this part. <laughs> oh. Hit it again. Oh, are you are you hitting a bell? Yeah. Okay. Hit the bell. The main event. Oh, there we go. Submission match. Of course, this is their second. Sound just major sounds match. like money. Just sounds like money. First one in Survivor Series '96, which is I, that's a kind of a little bit of a really forgotten match. An MSG, right? Is pretty great. Yeah. Um, I will say. Uh, so, well, well, Brett always had just such good matches at Survivor Series. It's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even one, even one where he didn't like the ending. <laughs> it's a good match um, until then. But I will say. So I, we'll come into this. So, now, how did you guys see this match for the first time? Because I will say, I, I have an interesting story. I was. Did not purchase the show. Um, I got this tape in a trade with a friend of mine uh, for Starcade '96, and I think I won this one. Um, Starcade '96, Hogan Piper, but there's really nothing else on that show. Although my friend did, I think he had like was like taping it in SP or something. So there's like two tapes, and uh, I think I lost like 30 seconds in the middle of this match as he was like frantically trying to change tapes. Uh, the first time I saw this. Uh, yeah, I, I did not see it anywhere near at the time. This was during the period I wasn't watching. So uh, it was it was maybe six months before WrestleMania 14 is where I started watching again. So I would have caught this probably in the middle, you know, maybe 98 or so uh, on a tape that I probably rented from a video rental store back when uh, any kids listening to this, there used to be stores, <laughs> a thing. physical stores that you rented videotapes from. And would sometimes have old wrestling cards. And you'd have to rewind them after you watched yes. them. Yeah. No, there's, a, there's a place in Bayside that just had every old wrestling tape, like going back years. We used to get the Misawa and all the all Japan stuff back from the 90s. And, and I would so I would have watched this probably the same night I watched, uh, you know, Misawa, all Japan card. I had a friend of mine who had, you know, both the, the Coliseum video and the self-taped uh, wrestling cards. And I remember watching it, you know, that summer in 97. I didn't watch it live, probably at some point that summer, and probably watched it over and over again that summer because it was one of those moments where, you know, I, I think you knew. Like, there were certain, you know, certain guys and certain moments over the years where you knew that this was going to be important. And that was certainly one where it's, it's in the moment you knew it was going to be big, and 20 years later it's, it's as big if not bigger. And, and I will say when I saw it, for what it's worth, while I knew about the match, obviously, and it was years later – I actually did not know the finish or who goes over in it when I first saw it. Uh, and I was wrong. And it actually kind of <laughs> added to the juice because at that point, Stone Cold was, was 
you know, king of the world, and, you know, it was, I assumed he was going to win in a squash. Right. And it's interesting, though, because I think the fact that none of us bought it, I think, points to sort of where WWF was at that point, and that no one really was that interested in this show. I think we were all probably excited at the idea of this match, but clearly not enough to actually put money down, um, even though I was paying for ECW pay-per-views yeah. and WCW <laughs> pay-per-views. Mean, and... Even if I was aware of WWF's product at that point, I would have probably been like, oh, the guy from the Hollywood Blondes is going against the guy that lost to Yokozuna? And in retrospect, the build for this match was, you know, obviously months and months in the making, but it's as good of a feud as, they, as they've ever done. Yeah. Both from Austin's like pure unbridled hatred of uh, the Hart and uh, Bret Hart and the Hart family to Bret Hart, like just like, hey, listen, I got to the top, uh, I'm here, like get get the hell out of well, here, like well, what the hell are you doing? That's why I love it because it's the purest wrestling story. These guys absolutely have a blood feud. They absolutely hate each other, but they hate each other because they both think they're the best, right? Yeah, and and Austin is hates Bret so much. He's willing to take what in kayfabe is a huge disadvantage. You have the master, the sharpshooter, in a submission match. Austin, I don't know, has ever shown the million dollar dream. Oh. Always happens the ringmaster. He did have the million dollar dream, which he doesn't even try to use in this match. He's not even attempting. He's like, we've all no. forgotten that. Let's bury. I don't want to remind anyone that that happened. Um, yeah. Did he even try like a death lock or something? I'm trying to remember. Like bit he by does, bit, he does a couple of moves. He does a Boston crab. Yes. He and he does some kind of like back hold thing that's actually. Pretty impressive, and I yeah. don't remember him ever doing it. I don't think ever does it ever again. No. But, but like you said, you know, the the Austin character is he obviously wants to win the match, but he's only there to hurt Bret Hart. It's right. almost like winning is an ancillary benefit. But he's there to hurt Bret Hart and prove that he's better than Bret Hart. But see, I think, and maybe that's where, because as a kid, I think that, and I think this match really shaped my my perspective on a lot of the ads era because I was a Bret Hart guy, and I was totally on Bret's side in this. I'm like. Who is this hooligan drinking beer and thinking that he's better than Bret Hart? Uh, maybe it points to the fact that I was maybe a, a bit of a goody two-shoes as a kid. But, well, <laughs> I don't know, like. but I think that that plays in, in huge to this because in, in they even show the, there's a video package for this if you watch it on the WWE Network. And um, if you watch the video package, which again, people at home, if they're in WrestleMania, you're probably getting buffalo wings and you're not really paying attention to the video packages. If you're in the arena, you're definitely not paying attention to it. But the arena is really painting Brett as kind of like an anti-villain. Like he's an anti-anti-hero. He's an anti-villain. That he was like kind of shooting, quote-unquote, a bit of a whiny conspiracy theorist kind of character. Austin's supposed to be this traditional heel, but, but they're kind of playing him up as a fan favorite and stuff like that. But then when they, you know, actually are out there, you see the fans are rooting for Brett as the face. And basically treating Austin with indifference. I wouldn't say, like, they're booing him, but they're just kind of meh. Yeah, he doesn't, coming out, he does not get a, a huge reaction, Austin, whereas Brett gets a pop. It's a little bit mixed, but, I mean, it's mostly that the, the fans, I think, are starting this match leaning leaning hard. As, right, as yeah, I would, I there's, yes. There's plenty of signs for Austin. I think that's sure. the thing. Like, you can see there's a transition happening. But the, but the pop for Hart is way louder when he comes out. But interestingly, and you think about sort of like the way how this match was framed, Vince frames it as, you know, oh, it's a, it's a mixed reaction for Bret Hart. I know. And a standing ovation for, for Stone Cold, uh, which just, didn't, it doesn't sound which, like that to me. Which also, by the way, makes the finish weird that, that they, they played up all signs point to Austin's got to go over big here. 
And but obviously what they wind up doing is not, you know, not the way I would have thought it would have been booked, but obviously it worked out pretty freaking well. I will say as a side note in terms of Vince on the intros, he um, talks about uh, Ken Shamrock, who's a referee. <laughs> so Jack, being, you, by quote, the way. From the ultimate fighting world, which might be the last time Vince said the words ultimate fighting on television. Oh, so or good. anyone, I think, said ultimate fighting instead of USC. Well, let me ask you guys this. WrestleMania 13, Rosemont, Illinois, mm-hmm. Chicago. That, that, that's a big part of this, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the best smart fans. Austin and, and many others have said his favorite place to wrestle, his best or favorite arena to wrestle. I've seen a show there, and it's fantastic. Um, what, makes, what makes it a, a great venue for wrestling from that perspective? I've never gotten to, to go to show Because it, it's very much like an old, has that vibe of like the old school hockey arena that like when you're in the concourse, you can't like get anywhere. Like once you walk through the concourse, you're in the seats and you're totally walled off. It's just, it feels way more small and intimate, even though it can probably see, you know, 15,000 or whatever it is. Like the old garden? Before they re- redid it? Uh, yeah, honestly, I would even say it's more like the Nassau Coliseum. I was going to say, that's a, that's a picture um, I'm seeing. Yeah. It feels more like the Nassau Coliseum, but, but the old garden uh, is, is a fair comparison, too. But like old hockey arena, but with just great acoustics, and it's just it's just great looking. And the way they do the tiering, it just feels like it's the lower section just goes on forever. And then there's these just small balconies, but obviously, you know, they're bigger than, than it seems. Hey, can, can I just bring up one other random thing about this? So this match, I think everyone, you know, we should acknowledge this is not the main event of WrestleMania 13. Nope. But, but you know. It's the main event of the show. It's one it's, of the greatest matches of all time. Well, it's personally my, possibly my pick for the best match ever. So, you know, you're going to, you're not going to put it on last because you have, uh, I think, Sid Undertaker for the title last. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Right? You want to put the title match fine? That, that's fine. Sid and Undertaker definitely, you know, main event guys. But, and if you wanted to put just that time killer match between this and the main event, as like kind of a sorbet match, you know, I'm, to cool the crowd off. I'm kind of okay with that too. But they do neither, and they have the Legion of Doom and Ahmed Johnson versus the Nation of Domination after this. And it's being billed as a big match to the point that Vince McMahon is even referencing that match coming up next during this match. <laughs> in what universe? And that match is actually a pretty good match for what it's worth. Yeah. But in what universe does that deserve to be higher on the card than this? I do wonder if it might be like that old school sort of like intermission thing, with, but, but without an intermission, right? That this was sort of the match that was like sort of the main event of the of the first half of the show. Yeah, but then well, I then I feel like you put a way lesser match in that well, that he, dead slot between this and the main. Well, then my other question is, you know, how much of the next year was built we're, we're, with this double turn? Are you? Did they know that Austin was going to go over next year? Yes. Did, did they know? The, the did plan, they... yeah, no, it's widely known. The plan mm. was Austin was going to go over Brett at WrestleMania the next year for the title. Obviously, that went up shifting, but at this point, it was already pretty much locked in stone. Austin was going to get the win back for the world title on Brett um, at WrestleMania or you know, possibly like Survivor Series or SummerSlam. So that was going to be my next that question, was the plan. Yeah. is that if you're going to turn Brett, you know, if Brett's going to agree to turn, you know, this goes back to like the the Super Cena, the Hogan, whatever it might be. Brett's not turning unless there's a reason for it, and he's not turning if he thinks he's leaving the company in eight months or whatever it was at the time. Right. So, and, and that's my thing. So, if they're if the, if the the plan was to turn Austin to give him the belt next year, I can see that aspect of it. But it makes me feel even worse for Brett is that he had to go through the the whole uh, you know Schittsburg and uh, stick the enema and do the whole thing, which is captivating television at the time. Uh, 
but you know he kills his brand. Uh, you know, alienates can't. You know, there's some Canada stuff happening in there. But like his last six months in the company was as a second tier heel because uh, Michaels was the the big heel at the time. I, I, it just makes me feel even worse I, for Brett knowing what happened. I violently disagree with you, mm. but we'll, we'll get to that maybe when we get to the legacy. Because uh, although I mean, the short version is apparently you haven't heard uh, Brett screwed Brett. So uh, <laughs> take that into consideration. No, but it's, I, I do feel like though. I mean, Ellen, this this kind of set me up to like be against Austin, and I feel like I was I was on the the Brett side and against Austin for a lot of the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like made me enjoy ninety eight and ninety nine a lot less than I would have otherwise because he was set in opposition to this other guy that uh, although I guess it's again maybe on the other side maybe what does it say about like my feelings if I was like with the guy who was like screw America I don't know yeah. also uh, how, how weird is it that Vince it's not weird that Vince is on the is is on the, the announce team for this it is weird that he's on the announce team with Jr and the King where it's just like. It's this weird class of times where it's like if they had like Sean Mooney like doing something with Lillian Garcia, it's just like weird just seeing Vince again with the the canonical Attitude Era team of JR and King. It's a transitional time. Like it really is. I mean, all of Austin Austin came in what? January 96, somewhere in that range? Yeah. Gets King of the Ring. uh, 96. 96. Yeah, June-ish. Uh, goes into WrestleMania 13, uh, April, March, well, March 97. Mm-hmm. It all happens relatively quickly, but that's still like the beginning of the Austin era. still feels, it feels pre-attitude era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it goes into like that whole, you know, everything happens in such a short period of time. In retrospect, it feels like everything happened like way more spread out. It feels like Los Angeles. But in the moment, it's New York. Everything's happening one on top of the other. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely consider this pre-attitude era. I, I really think... Honestly, it was like the the Mike Tyson appearance on Raw. Like th- I really consider that is the dawn of the Attitude Era in my mind. But and, and but certainly yeah, I, I agree in sort of in terms of like the, the overall era. But in terms of the seeds of it, you know, the the one of the big things, of course, is the main event style that Austin has that big brawl. And here they are starting by going into the crowd, mm-hmm. like starting mm-hmm. with a big brawl. There's yep. no like feeling each other out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just straight to going into the crowd. I like Captain Lou Albano clearing space in the, <laughs> yeah. in the front row. Yeah. Tony Atlas is just standing there confused, and Captain and, Lou is just like, I got this. I'm, I got security. And, and it's that like ECW style of in the crowd. It's like good old-fashioned WWF style brawling, but they're going to the crowd, and they spend some time out there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and they're just getting right into it. And I love that it's a submission match, which you think of as this like technical, they're going to use all these holds. But no, right from the get-go, they're just beating the crap out of each other and using that brawler style. Yeah, they really hammer on the no rules aspect, which I, I like. I also really like, you know, I really like Shamrock in this match. I think it's one of the very few times that like the special guest referee totally worked, and he, and maybe it's because he he's not a normal referee, obviously, and and wasn't even that current in the wrestling business at that point. Although I know he had done a lot of pro wrestling earlier in his career, but he's just not caring about the audience or doing those things. He's just trying to stay, and the announcers selling it close enough to hear someone say "I quit." It's wonderful. It's interesting to hear, though, I mean, to see them, like, not yet have figured out, like, how to shoot that crowd brawl, right? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you lose them for bits of it. It's really still kind of a mess in a way that they hadn't figured, that, that they will figure out, of course, eventually as, as the Attitude Era wears on, but um, just Wait, didn't and, know yet. And, and by the way, in terms of them figuring stuff out, so, because again, I wasn't watching at the time, so I don't actually know the answer to this. Maybe you do. They actually have a literal Austin 316 glass sheet that literally breaks during its entrance. Is that the origin of the glass break at the beginning of his song? 
or was it or I mean it's it's that's so good, good. That's like, a good question. I actually don't recall if that's yeah before or not. I, I, I feel like it's gotta be like but it's so iconic now and it's huh. it's such a great entrance. It's an amazing no it's a great entrance. Yeah. yeah wow but, I, but now I want to go back and see when he started using that song. Because I, I, I'm trying to remember when exactly. I think he was using, he was, I, I'm pretty sure he was using the song before that. I just don't know if the glass break was always at the beginning. You know, like, like The Rock was using um, different songs, and then he, they didn't add that, if you smell it, The Rock's cooking to the beginning, till well into his, you know, his ascension. Yeah. But now you can't kind of. I don't know. I, I, listen, I keep coming back to you. Jim Johnston would be a dream podcast guest. Give me like an hour with him. Could get like could how get. the how would you know how did this guy? Or and now CFO money like really because yeah. it, it's such a big portion of it. Like we, you know we mentioned Chicago, the music's such a big part of it. Like all these different aspects go into you know putting this on as an event as a show, yeah. and it's it's the the proverbial what, what does Vince always say? It's the, the 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 wrestling event as a TV show. It's not a wrestling show. It's a wrestling. Uh, it's a TV show as a wrestling show. And it has its yeah. own song. Oh, oh, <laughs> WrestleMania. <laughs> uh, but so they get back to the ring, and so in terms of match, so I think it's interesting here where Brett does take over because they get mm-hmm. to the ring, which makes sense as sort of he's the technician. Uh, Austin hits the stunner early, well, um, but but also just the, before we get the, like Brett though, even is is he's wrestling the same brutal style. That Austin is, which is just you don't see Brett doing that, and like right from the get go, you can tell Brett is working a different kind of match. He's really selling. I hate Austin as much mm-hmm. as he hates me. Right. Yeah. Well, he goes. I mean, even once he takes over, he goes very quickly into that ring post figure four, mm-hmm. which I always which thought looks amazing, although looks makes so no good. sense logically. Really, really good. Yeah. Which, by the way, it's is supposed also... to hurt your knee, but there's no pressure because you're going down. There's no. Like the, your leg is slipping. There's he's giving himself a concussion, yeah, dropping back. It, it looks so good, but it but, looks amazing though. And you know what though? That's the crazy. This is a submission match. That is the first submission move in the match, and it's like not quite halfway in, but several minutes into this match, probably five, six, seven. Well, I love in. the idea they're not going for the quick fall. I mean, that's it's yeah. not that the uh, not that win, winning is ancillary, but I mean the whole point is that you get like it's like the uh, the of this era the uh, the Kevin Owens, uh, Gennaro, uh, Sami Zayn. Uh, you know, fight forever, punch, 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 punch. Right. Like, whenever you get Austin and uh, Hart in the same ring, there's just going to be, you know, blood, essentially, no matter where it is. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, so I have, I have two questions now for you guys. Uh, how important is blood? To, to this match, I think it's extremely important. And I think that this match really is the argument for occasional use of blood. And, and I personally... I don't want the big chair shots back. I don't want the big high-risk top rope headbutts back. That stuff's painful to watch now. I don't really have a problem with a, like these guys who have like surgical precision once in a blue moon, not every card, not, you know, not every super match, but once or twice a year, have somebody give a little color to add to the drama. I've I got no problem with it. Yeah, I think it's about the right moment, right? That, that this is built up as a real... Again, there's a, a the term blood feud, right? And that there's a certain thing you lose if a blood feud mm-hmm. can't get bloody when it needs to, right? right. That, that the violence level needs to sort of escalate. There's a great shot where um, they cut to like Brett's like young daughter and she's like covering her eyes. And, and first of all, Vince has a great line. It's like, this is not for the weak at heart, which is an awesome pun there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like <laughs> even with the no pun intended, right? The, the idea, right, that this is... Um, 
you know, uh, that, that this is like up a level where like a child would want to cover their eyes. Um, that, I think that's a, a good thing to have as an element of wrestling, not something you go to all the time, but as an element. Well, and for things like, like they've watered down Hell in the Cell, now it's just the month that they need to do it. But when Hell in the Cell was like that escalation for a feud that really was a blood feud, like that's the perfect spot to use that kind of thing. Um, and, and really use it where it should be as really the ultimate escalation of a feud rather than just, you know, it's December, let's put whoever's in the title picture in, in a cell. Yeah. I'm assuming you're in on blood too, Dennis? Oh, sure. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, and that's the thing too, and that, what I love about it, I think the thing I like most about the match, not to skip all the way to the end, but, you know, I love the fact that a good wrestling match puts both people over. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And we don't see that nearly enough nowadays. I think the, the, the in almost every match, someone has to go over and, you know, it's going back to Super Cena, it's like, you feel like it's at the expense of the other person. Rarely does Cena go over and the other person look great. It's happened. It's absolutely happened, and we can name some times. But I love the idea that, you know, this is the iconic match. When you think of Stone Cold Steve Austin, this is the match you think about. And he, like you said before, he does not win. And that's why the Punjabi prison was so good, because you got Randy Orton, you got, uh, what's his name? Jinder Mahal. Jinder Mahal and the Great Khali. All three of them got over <laughs> in that match. But I think part of it, though, is, is because of the way it's constructed, right? That it's not that sort of, that, you know, kind of finisher kickout sort of um, mm-hmm. construction where, but it's, it's about the violence escalating right they get yeah. the chairs involved he and goes for the knee with the chair can i Brett talk does. about the chair too that austin mm-hmm. and, and they both give perfect chair shots right like yes these are the types of chair shots you should they looked believable they looked violent but they're not wrapping them around heads that i cringing and saying oh my god like what's gonna happen like that you know what's yeah. gonna happen to him in 10 years or 15 years yeah the one where austin gets him when he's on top he's clearly he's getting him i mean if you're really looking at it he's getting him on kind of like the shoulder and the back yep looks like he's getting him in the head and it's just like the the angle of it and the way brett takes it right. is what really makes it um as opposed to it being sort of dangerous and or or the other which is like the hogan chair shot which is like like someone's grandmother you know trying to pry a door open or something i don't even know and and i will say in my notes here too that you're right. Like v- Vincent Kennedy McMahon is really burying Brett on the mic during all this, mm-hmm. saying he's going to have excuses if he doesn't win. Like you can really see Montreal coming that, to the point that you're like, how did Brett not see it coming? <laughs> Where because it's like Vince is really, really burying him on the mic with this one, even though he's allegedly still not even allegedly he was one of still the biggest draws in the company at that point. I mean, when I was a not kid, the biggest. when I was a kid, uh, wrestling with shadows was such a big thing. It was on A and E, amazing all the time. And I, I, I'm trying to remember because this was that's that was after this, right? The, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm because like, like you said, and I'm curious, like, oh no, no, because he signed the 10 year deal right around this no, no. time. Brett definitely. Yeah, it's when he comes back right before when he so he wrestle he comes back and he ends, he's gonna announces he's gonna wrestle Austin Survivor Series '96. So that was uh, September or October mm-hmm. of '96. So he, he'd gone away. Right. No, in, no the year before. Right, right, yeah, right. he'd gone because that's and that's part of the video package, right? He goes away for six months after he loses to Sean. Which in of itself is sort of a burial, right? And that he like sort of has to like just basically be, disappear while Sean sort of takes the center stage. There's so many moving parts. It's one of those yeah. things as a kid. It's like, oh, Austin, this is where Austin became. But there's so many moving parts that you forget that, you know. Well, I think that's, that's a part of the thing there that you're kind of hitting on here, right? Is that the pecking order is messy in a way that like now it's generally easy to see. Okay, you've got Cena. You've got Elevate, another guy. And it's very clear where the, the pecking order is. 
Whereas here, gender, gender on top, of course. <laughs> um, but there's a, this movement where it's hard to tell from like week to week. Okay, is is Sean the top guy? Is Brett? The, is it Austin? Is it Undertaker? Sid? They're all kind of moving around. They're all kind of on top, but it's hard to tell. Well, WrestleMania direction. WrestleMania 13 was post uh, Sean losing his smile. Yes, that was like that after. spring, right? Yeah, because that, that that really puts a mess in everything. Because that was you know because he was your top guy. Listen, it's it's weird to say that Taker in a WrestleMania main event was forgettable, but it obviously was. We've all for, I, I can't remember anything about that match at all. Like, no. at all. I I, listen, I, yeah, pulling him under the ring afterwards, I think. I think that happened. I, I don't know. Listen, it's one of those things. You Taker do, won. I know that much. I, that, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's just one of those things that, like, there's a lot of forgettable Taker. We all love Taker, but there's a lot of forgettable I don't know uh, if I loved there. Taker in 1997. Well, I think it would be strong. But, 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 but I think in 2017, yeah. if you're like, yes, uh, it, it's a tough opinion. To, it's an opinion you could have, but it's going to be one you have to defend vigorously. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's interesting the the, uh, the title changes are coming so fast at this point, right? That like, um, Sean wins the belt back from Sid at, at Royal Rumble. They have the uh, Sean loses his smile. There's the final four match, which is an underrated, I think, yeah, oh, kind yeah. of classic mm-hmm. uh, with Austin. Uh, Brett, Sid, and Vader, which is, I think, it's probably four and a half stars. Mm-hmm. Brett wins the title there, drops it to Sid, like, the next night. The next, yeah. And then, it's, but it's, it's, the belt is moving so quickly, too, it's really hard to get that yeah. feel. But again, this, so it's interesting, though, again, we talk about, like, Brett, though, with the, um, with, with the pop, like, you get towards the end there, and there's the spot where Austin is, is tying Brett up with the, uh, the cable, and Brett hits him with the ring bell, and it's a huge pop for Brett. yeah. Well, and just that whole scene, by the way, is just like that's literally my favorite moment of the is because you have you know Austin has already done the blade job at this point, and it's just he's not fully fully gushing, but even though he doesn't go full, I mean Muda, the ring is covered in blood. Even though he doesn't go full Muda, it's my favorite blade job of all time. It's just so good, and obviously it plays into the finish of the match. And then it's just so like he has the cables, he's wrapping around in the ring bell, and it's just so violent. This is after Brett has tried to pilmanize Austin, which again <laughs> right. is a really dark turn. You've never in. I was the biggest Brett fan. You've never seen Bret Hart do that. And even when he was more full heel after that, you never really saw him go that far ever again that I can recall. Until he wrestled Vince and, you know, 15 years later or whatever that was. <laughs> but that's a good point. It, it's Brett going to dark places. And, and Brett's like wrestling in a way that shows that. Because we all know what a Bret Hart match looks like. And this doesn't look like a Bret Hart match. Yeah. The first Austin match in Survivor Series looks like a Bret Hart match. Mm-hmm. And this is Brett, again, using chairs, upping I mean, the violence level. And, and there's just, yeah, you just don't see matches like this anymore. And, and you know, you mentioned earlier, at one point, Brett is working um, Austin's knee with the chair. And I literally, in my notes, was writing, he's working the knee like an animal. And you hear JR going, you know, oh, he's doing it like an animal. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I agree with JR. <laughs> you think completely. like JR now. That's, yeah. that's You fully mind melt. My God, he's broken in half. <laughs> but, and even after that, He's trying to get the sharpshooter on, and he can't get it on. Like, Austin is sunk. He's been hit in the head. He's lost all this blood, but he's – Brett's just trying to end it. He's trying to get the sharpshooter on, and Austin's fighting so hard against it and eventually makes a little bit of a comeback, gets – you know, rams Brett. They do a great spot where Brett goes into the corner. He stomps the mud hole. He's bleeding like a stuck pig, and he just – at that point – you know, he does the cord thing, and, the, and and you just can't take it. In my mind, these are two of the best ever, maybe the two best ever in my mind, at the absolute height of their powers. 
just leaving it all in the ring. And I think like a, a, a talking about leaving it all in the ring, that kind of perfect finish, right, where he Brett finally does get the sharp so iconic, on, so iconic, and Austin fighting it with the the picture of the blood in the face, which ends up being and it goes the picture they teeth. use constantly. Yeah, it's on Raw into every his week. teeth. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just it's it's like that's wrestling, right? And that's what we're talking about with the, like blood, right, where it can like that. Well, and then even like you don't and, get that moment if you don't and, have blood in this. Place. And Austin, like it seems like Austin breaks up the sharpshooter, like he, but Brett doesn't fully let go and gets back up, and you just don't see that if like no one's willing to let go. And then even as he's passing out again, Shamrock, I got to give credit to Shamrock. He gives that kind of UFC style. You can hear him. He must have been in perfect range of the mic, and you can, if you cannot respond, I'm going to end the match and stuff like that. And even now, I've seen this match a hundred times, and even knowing it, I'm kind of like, wait, is this the finish? Is he got? And it is, and it's just like Shamrock is is really good being in there. But again, yeah, Austin with all that blood and it's gushing, and it's on his teeth, and just such an iconic shot. And I just love the fact that Brett worked the knee, worked the knee, worked the knee, worked the knee, but it wound up being this head wound is what took Austin out. At least, well, but it's the pain, right? It's the pain plus the in, yeah, in the yeah, paper, right? It's the it's the pain of the knee plus the head wound combined that are sort of doing the. I, I just have it in my notes that, you know, I, I wish – it's some part of me wishes this was a little bit longer, but it was so perfect and just nothing was wasted. Like, the Native Americans would love this match. They used every part of it. They used every <laughs> part of the wrestling. Like, there's none of the buffalo left over here. Nothing's going to waste. Like, they used all of it. What's, what's the runtime on the match? Like eighteen? Does that sound right? So, I would say it's like, a little less. Yeah, yeah. Like seventy, eighty. Yeah, which is interesting because yeah. I think that you, I think we think about great matches being long, but like you know, Savage and Steamboat's just under fifteen. This is kind of like that, like eighteen mm-hmm. minutes, twenty yeah, minutes. It doesn't need to be a Roman Reigns thirty-five minute epic against uh, the Man of Many Ages. And yeah, and pure yeah. pure length does not make it a match good. You know, yeah. right? Because you get everything in. They get everything they needed to in. Um, and then, of course, they do give a little bit to the, the, the post-match, right? Because Austin, mm-hmm. uh, Hart goes after him again, right. which kind of cements the turn, right? The, 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 it's it's kind of there, although Brett gets it's, a cheer for winning, but then the attack really attacks him, finishes well, the double turn. And then suplex, uh, Shamrock comes and gives him the suplex. Mm-hmm. That gets a huge face pop. And then Brett kind of has that face down, and the fans are kind of like, ooh, this is interesting. Like, Brett Hart, Shamrock now, while Austin's still down, and and he does the kind of cowardly... Walks backwards, never gives gives his back to Shamrock, and he backs out. And there is a chorus of boos. There is no ambiguity in the reaction to Brett at that point. Huge, huge boos. And then, of course, he leaves. Shamrock leaves. Some random re- official comes <laughs> in some thick to, to help Austin <laughs> up, gets a stunner for his troubles. And then, you know, Austin gets up of his own power, gets out, and as he's getting up the ramp, you can hear Austin, Austin, you can hear the chants. And what Vince was trying to force down your ear uh, in, in when during the entrances is actually happening. And it is, it's as much as I think this is the textbook reason why you should allow for a little blood when needed, it's also the textbook double turn executed just absolute perfection. Yeah. Austin walks off and he's basically like, it's like the end of a Western. He really is the <laughs> end of a Western. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, and it really, if you look at it, and, and that's why I kind of want to wait till we got to the end, that, that I disagree a little bit on Bret Hart after this, that, we know what happened to Austin. It made Austin forever as the definitive anti-hero. He's feuding with Vince McMahon not far after this. He's obviously world champion, 
and, and solidified uh, number one draw in the world by a year later. And but but Brett never actually fully a hundred percent turned heel, right? He was pretty heelish, but he was doing that anti-America thing, pro-Canada. He was still, and I actually think that that was the absolute creative apex of him as a character in terms of his on the mic, in terms of his motivations. It was about proving that he was the best. And yeah, was he whiny and was he getting buried in some ways? Sure. But it was actually all legitimate things that you could relate to where you're like, you know what? This guy is the best. This guy has been the former world champion. This guy is getting kind of pushed aside in, in, in front of people. And obviously that arc ended prematurely with a weird escalation, to say the least, that the match will cover it some other time. But I personally think Brett, I get what you're saying. I think that Brett was absolutely getting overtly buried by Vince. But I think he really made lemonade out of those lemons. Right. Listen, it wasn't a disaster. It was entertaining. Like you said, it was entertaining. But it goes back to when did Brett sign that 10-year contract and when... Did it was Vincent, a while before that, wasn't it? It was like six, it was like six months before this. Okay. Before this match. So did, did Vince know in March 97 that he wasn't going to be in the company a year later? I don't That's think so. That's a great question. I, I don't think I, so. Uh, yeah, but you have to... I think he knew he wasn't the top guy anymore, and he was building around Austin and Sean. I think he sure. knew that. But I don't, I don't think he thought that he was going to be gone. I think, but I think Vince knows. I think Vince has has guesses at this early, earlier than anyone else, right? He's looking at the numbers. He knows these things. I think. I think earlier than any. So I don't know if it's here. I don't know if at that point he already has that sense. But um, I, it's hard to. Yeah, it's hard to look back and wonder. You can you can play around with that. You, you can think about it. And, and by the way, in terms of the legacy, I believe this is Brett's last WrestleMania as a rostered guy. It is right. He he came back and did that one shot post retirement. And then it was Austin's last WrestleMania, not in the main event for a while, right? right? Um, you know, I guess until he went against Scott Hall. So that's what five years later, something yep. like that for you. Yep. So that's a good magnitude. He's in too. the next when he's healthy. He's in the next three WrestleMania main events. He misses right. two thousand, but he misses that show altogether because of his neck injury. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but yeah, he's he's now. This is the, the the thing that really pushes him into the stratosphere. Yeah, he, he, um, a very accomplished guy in a short period of time. His his run was ninety six to 03, three rumbles, what six belts, uh, something like that. Something like that. I don't yeah. even know. I yeah. Just like, it's just one of the, he just he did so much in such a short period of time, where you know he first came in in, in early ninety six. King of the Ring. Uh, he leaves uh, in King of the Ring. Absolutely, I see belt multiple times, uh, and then he's out. By WrestleMania 19, that's his last match against obviously The Rock again, and it, it's one of those things that you know you wonder if you know uh, SummerSlam 97 never happened um, or happened differently, how much longer he could have went and how much more you know how does his trajectory change? How does The Rock's trajectory change? How does the Men of Many H's trajectory change? Like that one pile driver changed so much of the history of wrestling. Um, I mean, I think I'm gonna have to quote Harvey Dent. And I'd say that, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that he went out when he did because eventually everyone lives long enough to be the villain. I think with that, let's go to the wrap-up. That's the killing bell. Uh, so uh, in the wrap-up, we like to play some games. Uh, this time we are going to play Guess That Theme. Ooh. Fax and I have each picked uh, wrestling theme songs. Um, and uh, we, the other, we have not told Dennis or the uh, our co-host. Um, what those songs are. So let's uh, let's find out. Let's who, who should go first. Let's see if Dennis shuts us out as previous guests have done. Yes, yes. 
so why don't we play uh why don't we play my song first? I have, I have a sense Dennis might get this one before facts, but I don't know, we'll see. Let's do it. Uh, uh, um, is it, is it <laughs> Raven? That's a close, but it's Jericho? Yeah, oh, as Chris yeah. Jericho's WCW theme song. Uh, also, Even Flow by Pearl Jam. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, I know there was multiple Even Flow ripoff songs. One crazed anarchist from the, it's like some random like archive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Jericho's second WCW theme. And constantly on my uh, phone as I'm driving around New York City. I, I, can't, I can't get enough of it. You know, the, the, you can get the Pearl Jam, the actual version. No, no, I have, I have 10. I refuse to, no, 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 it's no. It's on no, Amazon no. Music. No, listen, I have my Jericho personal security t-shirt. I live the dream. All right. All right, well, let's, uh, let's see if you can get mine. Give it a minute. Give it a minute. These American-made? No. Yeah. Think about, you're talking about that Royal Rumble video game. This is in it. Is this, is this Foley's game no. at some point? No, no, it's like a car crash, right? Is it uh, tag team? No, single. Crush? No. It is Crush. I was going to say, you could have wow. been the third guy. <laughs> this is the Kona Hawaiian Crusher. Crush. Uh, and I know it because of that 1990. Two or three, whatever. Because he was Royal in Brian Adams was in the game. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. playing as Crush in that game. He was awesome. Give him the head crush. Yeah. All right. Well, point for me. My first ever point on this <laughs> game. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, I think with that we've uh, exhausted the, the many wonders of, of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Dennis. Uh, always a pleasure, Fax. Always a pleasure, too. Uh, I'm Chris, and we are the Curtain Jerks. Thank you for joining us. Try to believe, though the going gets rough, that you gotta hang tough to make it. History repeats itself. Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate him. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me, t- let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. <laughs> they scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one uh, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first boulet. Let's go. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The la- Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production.